Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, this will be, some of this will be on the screen with us this morning. If you're thinking, hey, that's where we were last week, uh, you're right. And here we are again uh, this week. As you're finding your place to Hebrews chapter 10, let me uh, read to you a newspaper article that I ran across this week. Um, That might give you a chuckle. Uh, Last Sunday, a seven-year-old boy led officers on a car chase through Weber County. A seven-year-old boy led officers on a car chase through Weber County. After reaching speeds of 40 miles per hour, driving through stop signs and through a parking lot, the boy drove into his garage and ran upstairs. When confronted by officers and the child's father, the boy's response was, I didn't want to go to church. No citations were issued, but a warning was given to the father to make sure his car keys were not accessible to children. Uh, This seven-year-old is not the only one running from church these days. A lot of people are running from church these days. Perhaps you didn't want to run to church today. And there are actually a lot of voices calling for us to kind of find different forms of being a church community. We're in a series this fall called Dwell Together, where we're looking in the New Testament to see how God's design for us is not just to attend something once a week for 75 minutes and kind of sit next to strangers and then walk out and go on on our way as if we're kind of getting the gas tank pumped up and then off and, and, and do our week's business, come back the next week. But the design of the New Testament church, God's design for the church, would, that, would be that we would dwell together, that we would not just sing together, but that we would share lives together. But the church, uh, as you know, is not always the most popular institution or place to go uh, for people these days. And there are many voices that are calling us to either reform or transform or even abandon the idea of the local church. And so we find, uh, if you go through even Christian bookstores, you find books like this one with the title by uh, Kelly Bean of How to Be Christian Without Going to Church, The Unofficial Guide to Alternative Forms of Christian Community. How to be a Christian without going to church. Another one uh, within the last few years. Life After Church by Jim Palmer. Dear Church, Letters from a Disillusioned Generation. Quitting Church. So you don't want to go to church anymore. There's a lot of them out there, isn't there? And then uh, this one uh, kind of sums it up in the title. They like Jesus, but not the church. There's these sentiments, these voices are uh, abundant in uh, Christian bookstores. They're abundant even uh, perhaps on radios or in conversations that you have with people. Of all those books, let me give you a positive book. Uh, One that uh, affirms the idea of the local church, and that's one by Kevin DeYoung called Why We Love the Church in Praise of Institutions and Organized Religion. I encourage you to pick that up if you're interested in this topic. 
we believe in the church. We believe that the church, the local church, is something that God has given, something that God has commanded us to be a part of, and it is indeed his instrument in the world as battered and as tarnished and sometimes as hypocritical as she may be. To all those book titles, we turn this morning to Hebrews chapter 10, where we read in verse 25, Hebrews 10, 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's where we are uh, this week. Last week, we spent the bulk of our time in verse 24. And today, I want us to uh, look at the piece that we didn't really hone in on last week in verse 25 of, of this, this directive from the letter to the Hebrews of not neglecting to meet together. If we back up and just kind of look at the context, we were here last week. Uh, go back up and look at the context beginning in verse 23. The author writes, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And we said the implication last week, the implication of verse 23 is that it's possible for us to waver in our faith. While God is faithful, it's possible for us and and likely that many of us do, we, we tend to waver. And so the instruction quickly following verse 23 comes in verse 24 and 25. Therefore, since our faith is likely to waver, don't give up meeting together and encouraging one another. Not only in worship and in song, but, but in small groups, in encouraging one another, in spurring one and on, in spurring one another on, or one translation, the ESV says, stir each other up to love and good deeds. And the principle here that fervency of faith is directly tied to consistency in community. Fervency of faith is directly tied to consistency in community. And again, to all those book titles that I mentioned uh, previously, verse 25, we come upon the scripture that says, Don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Last week, the title of last week's message was, Do It. Stir one another up to loving good deeds. Do it. The title of this week's message is Don't Do It. That is, don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect making the believing community a priority in your life. To quote the uh, great theologian, tongue in cheek, great theologian Woody Allen, 90% of life is showing up. Woody Allen said, 90% of life is just showing up. I've I've used this as I've uh, counseled those going off to college, uh, particularly when I was doing youth ministry. I said, man, 90% of life is just showing up. If you want to make it in college, here's the advice that I give you, okay? Here's the advice that I give you. Faith, you writing this down? Go to class and take notes. That's That's the wisdom I have. For our college students, go to class and take notes. 90% of life is just showing up. And if you'll just review those notes later that night, that might propel you even, you know, to a B plus or A minus average just by showing up. 
Well, the example of the New Testament, the call of the New Testament is not, though, just to show up. Uh, verse 25, the, the, the call is not just between absence and attendance, but the call is between absence and devotion. Between neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another, being radically involved in one another's lives, praying for one another, sharing in one another's burdens, helping one another as they go to the hospital, as they go through sickness, as they bring new life into this world as they're discouraged, as they're downcast. It's not a choice between absence and attendance. It's a choice between absence and devotion or absence and engagement. And I think we see that contrast. If we look back, if you'll flip with me uh, to Acts chapter 6. We were here months ago. This won't be on the screen, but if you join me uh, just for a minute here as we flip back to Acts chapter 6, there's something... Uh, Not coincidental here. In Acts 6, the church kind of has one of its first controversies. And that's kind of a social controversy where some of the widows who uh, couldn't provide for themselves were being overlooked uh, in their care and the distribution of food. And as uh, this issue was brought to the leaders of the church, uh, they said, we've got to fix this because it's important. We don't want uh, there to be uh, neglect We don't want some to be without food, so we need to take care of these widows among us. But the response uh, of the church leaders in verse 2, it says, or verse 1, excuse me, it says that some of the widows were neglected in the daily distribution of food. Look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Okay? And then look down in verse 4. He says, we're, uh, they say we're going to appoint some other leaders to do that in verse 4. But we, the church leaders, will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. Here's what I want you to catch. The contrast is between neglect or absence and devotion. If you look back up, uh, in the ESV it's translated... <clears throat> It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God. In the ESV, it translates it, give up. You can also translate that neglect. It's the very same word that we saw back in Hebrews 10, 25. Neglecting to meet together. And here, the church leaders say it would not be right for us to neglect, same Greek word, the ministry of the word and prayer. So we're going to appoint some other people to take care of this issue with the widows. So they didn't want the widows to be neglected, but they also didn't want to neglect, same word, the priority of the prayer and word. So what did the church leaders do? They devote themselves, verse 4, same word again. They devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. That is the exact same pattern we see for all church members, not just the leaders. If you flip back in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I think we have this one on the screen. I've mentioned this one several times, but Acts several times. But after the church forms in verse uh, in chapter 2, the church, the first church is formed in Jerusalem. It says after they received the word and they were baptized, they were added to the church. And verse 42 says. And they attended church. No, it doesn't say that. It says they devoted themselves to these four things. 
the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. There it is again, this word, devoted. God hasn't just called us to attend, but to be devoted to one another within the church. So you might say, in contrast to Woody Allen, uh, 10% of life, 10% of being the church is showing up. 90% of church is being engaged, of devoting yourselves to one another and to these practices. I wrote down some reasons, uh, some roots of churchless Christianity that we see Uh, Some reasons, some roots that have given rise to churchless Christianity. They are deep-seated individualism, rampant skepticism, honest ignorance, chronic busyness, and convenient substitutes. There's probably others, but these are the ones that kind of came to my mind this week as I was preparing this message. And for you grammar snobs, I know some of you are thinking, is it deep-seated or deep-seated? Well, I looked it up, I googled it, it's actually deep-seated. It comes from riding a horse where you're deep in the seat. But anyway, you can uh, research that later. I just wanted to make that point for those uh, grammar Nazis among us. Deep-seated individualism. What do I mean by that? I mean, we are Americans, and it's about personal choice and personal freedom. So why should I submit myself to some group? Uh, Why can't I just lone ranger it on my own? We have a deep-seated value of individualism that sometimes smacks into the values of, of the core of Christianity. Rampant skepticism. We also live in an age that is highly skeptical of institutions. When I look through the scriptures, I see three institutions that God has given us throughout the scriptures. The first one being what? Genesis 1 and 2. What institution did God Make that God create the institution of marriage in Genesis 9 and Romans uh, 13. You also see the institution that God has formed government as as an arm of God. He's instituted marriage, He's instituted government, and in Acts chapter 2, we, we see the birth of this third institution called the church. And we have to be reminded that this thing called church and local churches is not just something that man came up with. I mean, some of you are looking at me like, yeah, you're the preacher. Obviously, you're going to be talking about being devoted to the church, right? That just makes sense. That's your job is to get people into church, right? But this is not a preacher idea. This is church is not a man-made idea. It is something that God created that he wanted us to be part of. And sometimes you'll hear people that are really super uh, theological and super smart, and they'll talk about the difference between the visible church and the invisible church, or the church local and the church universal. And they'll smile and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of the church. I'm a part of the church universal. I just don't, I'm just not a part of the church local because I think it's jacked up and it's got all these problems and everybody's a hypocrite and they're not doing it the way they did it in the Bible. And so, yeah, I'm a member of God's church and put church in quotes like the universal church, but I'm, I'm just not a part of a local church. Now, here I am preaching to the choir today, right? Because you're like, dude, Ross, I'm here. You know, I'm in. I'm engaged. I just went through membership class. I'm in. When I hear people talk about, yeah, they're, uh, and when you hear people talk about uh, they're part of the universal church, but not the local church, what comes to my mind is people that are part of a national kind of gym, 
but they don't ever attend the local gym. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a part of 24-hour fitness. Like, I, I, I pay my dues, and, you know, monthly they get my deal. But no, I mean, I don't happen to actually walk, you know, in the doors of the gym. This is getting a little personal for some of us, isn't it? I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but that's, uh, that's the concept of being part of the universal church, but not being part of the local church. I was a member of a fraternity in college. Bill and I are fraternity brothers. And you, you would meet sometimes as a national or international fraternity. You would get together for these, these national meetings. No one would have thought, yeah, I'm a member of the international fraternity. I just don't have a local chapter. I mean, that would be nonsense. If, if you're a part of the fraternity, you have a local chapter of which you're a part of. God has called us, brothers and sisters, in to this local church. It's not man's idea. It, it might have its issues. It certainly does. I shared some of my own personal experiences with the church that were negative a few, a few weeks ago. But this, this church is an institution, and churches, not just this church, is the institution and the body that God has chosen to use. Chosen to create, ordained. If you were a believer in the Old Testament and you say, yeah, I believe in Yahweh, but I'm just not interested in Israel. People would laugh in your face. Yeah, I, I believe in Yahweh. I just don't, I just don't want to you know, go to that tabernacle or that temple. I don't really want to uh, be part of that priestly stuff and have to worry about that, those commands and that Mosaic law. That's just not for me, but I believe in Yahweh. Well, people would laugh in your face. It's not possible to believe in God and not be a part of the people of God. And just like that was true in the Old Testament, it's also true in the New Testament, that you can't be a, a part of God's family without digging in to a local family here. And I would say this, there are three institutions that God has given us, marriage, government, and church. And guess what? All three of those institutions today are on pretty shaky ground, aren't they? Marriage, government, and church. But folks, the solution when God's ordained institutions are wobbly is not to abandon the institution, but to reform the institution and make it better. Many of us have had bad experiences of failed marriages. That doesn't mean we give up on the institution of marriage. It means you encourage and you work for good marriages. Government can go nasty. The, the, the solution is an anarchy. The solution is good government. Churches can go bad. The solution is not to abandon it, but to reform it and to devote yourself to it. I better move on here if we're going to get through this sermon today. Rampant skepticism, honest ignorance. To be honest, I think some of us, we're just ignorant of what God has called us to in the church because preachers like myself don't want to just talk about church. They don't want to appear self-serving. So we haven't taught about the fundamental nature of the local church and how dear it is to the heart of God. We just haven't been instructed on the bride of Christ. Imagine... Uh, Imagine you have a friend, this, this illustration will be for guys. Imagine you have a friend, guys, and you, he's your best buddy. 
you love this guy, you watch sports games with him, you're pretty close, you really uh, have, have been in the trenches together, you have a good camaraderie, uh, you love this, this guy, he's your, he's your good buddy. But imagine saying to that good friend of yours, hey dude, we're really tight and we're really close, but I gotta tell you something, your wife, man, she is a real drag. I mean, she is a downer on the party. What would be your response to that friend? You'd be like, dude, if you love me, you love my wife. You certainly don't bag on my wife like that. Jesus has called the local church his bride, his prized, beautiful bride, and he don't bag on somebody's bride. And if Christ loves the church, then we ought to love the church. Chronic busyness. It's amazing to me how often I can hear uh, quick excuses for neglecting church. Hey, we're busy. Hey, we've got friends in town. We've got family in town. We're not going to be mega. There are all sorts of reasons to neglect the meeting together of the saints. And I'm not just talking here about worship. I'm talking about small groups. One of the most encouraging things you can do in your community group is, guess what? Show up. Be there. You know how hard it is to lead one of those groups when people are 50%? I shared a statistic uh, a few months ago with you that was 1.7. Do you guys remember this statistic? 1.7 was the number of times per month that active families in Collin County attend a church. This is on data by other fellow churches in this area that I heard at a minister's lunch a few months ago. 1.7 times per month. That's by checking the kids in. That's how I don't I can tell you the how the data was found another time if you want afterwards. 1.7. What would happen if you attended your job 50% of the time? What would happen if you took your kids to their t-ball practice 50% of the time? What would, what would happen if you re- exercised 50% of the time? Okay, so that might be pretty good for some of us. But sometimes we are so casual and we are so chronically busy that we don't prioritize the family of God and not just attending, but connecting to one another. Finally, uh, convenient substitutes. I mean, some of us are just in the attitude of like, hey, you know, church, I mean, I know God started or whatever, but now, I mean, why show up on Sunday morning when I can just kind of stay in my jammies? I've got YouTube. I've got lots of great music on my phone. I can just kind of listen to some tunes Uh, download a sermon that's a lot better than the guy that's going to be at Centennial and just have a very spiritual experience in my pajamas by myself. But you are neglecting the tool that God has chosen to use in this world, the local church. And those things, while great and helpful and complimentary helps to our Christian lives, I listen to podcasts a lot. Uh, I listen to other preachers. I listen to worship music in the car and just in preparation. And it, it ministers to my soul. But those are not substitutes for the mechanism, the instrument of the local church that God has, has given us. They might be bridesmaids, but they're not the bride. They might be helpful, but they're not the thing that God says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Back to those three institutions, marriage, government, fam- marriage, government, and church. 
There's three God-given institutions. There's only one institution that's going to last into eternity. You know which one it is? It's the church. Together in unity, praising the Lord Jesus forever. The church, the local church, is not an option, but the ordained way that God has chosen to work in the world. I'm not just I'm not just preaching this morning to the choir. I'm preaching because I don't think we teach this enough. I think we sometimes approach our attendance like we do the bank that we go to. Like, hey, if they've got good music, you know, decent preaching and something that'll keep my kids happy, then I'll go. But if I get a little disappointed with the kids program or the guy preaches a little past the time that we're supposed to be out, then I'm gone. You know, that's kind of the idea. Hey, the the interest rate is lower at the bank down the street, so I'm going to go to that bank. And that's kind of the mentality that we bring in to our church experience. And that is not the picture that the New Testament paints for the church. And I'm not, here's, here's another heartbeat in this. I'm also saying this because there's going to be a time that you move away from this area. Likely, most of us in this room, you're, you're probably going to move somewhere else. You're going to move farther from this church. You're going to take another job in another city. Here's a challenge that I would give to you. I would challenge you to plan where you live based upon the church that you might attend. Isn't that radical? I mean, most people move to a place, often we find people moving to this area because of schools, because of conveniences, because they want to be in this area. What if you, what if you picked the place that you want to live based upon searching the churches that you wanted to be a part of? Is that not a radical idea? And I would say from the data in the New Testament, that is probably dearer to Christ's heart than where we send our kids to school. I'm not saying that's a low, that that's not a priority, how we educate our kids. But God has this mechanism called the local church that is dear to his heart, and he wants it to be dear, near and dear to our heart. The only way that we can fulfill the New Testament ideas of the church, folks, is to gather together, not just in this group this morning, but to know one another in our community groups. And maybe my, my application question here this morning is, how might you be more devoted in your church family? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You might want to underline that word, habit. It's not just a 21st century thing. Apparently it's a first century thing that people were already in the habit of neglecting to meet together. How can you make the gathering with fellow believers more of a habit? Our habits form us, don't they? Habits are things that we do, but habits are also things that do something to us, right? And all of us have probably natural habits that we go through every day. It might be the way you wake up. It might be you know, putting on those slippers and going to the kitchen and hitting the coffee, starting the coffee pot. That's like, I mean, you're like a robot doing that every morning, right? Some of you are elbowing the people next, the person next to you. Like, I know your habits, you know. You wake up and you do this workout. You wake up and you, and, and you go and you make this. You go out and pick up the paper. What it is, whatever it is, these habits, you drive the very same way 
to work every day and you stop at the same place and you go through the same drive through and you, and you order the exact same things and those habits form you. Well, the habit of meeting together, the habit of worshiping and gathering in small groups is a formative experience, a formative habit for our soul. And sometimes when we don't even feel that anything is happening to us, God is still moving in that habit to transform us through our time with one another. Habits are forming. I was at the coffee shop a couple weeks ago and I, I realized that I have this habit of uh, talking to a two-year-old. And it was embarrassing because I was ordering my drink and I'm making small talk with the barista and he started talking about the weather and how we had all this rain and it was getting better out. And I found myself describing to the barista, I said, yeah, it's yucky out there. And I, I turned away from the deal and I was like, who talks and says the weather's yucky, you know, to a grown man? It's like, I'm glad I didn't say the word poopy, you know, because that's the second most common, yes, yeah, poopy out there. We are formed by the habits, the way that we talk, where we go, what we do. Do you have a habit of gathering with other believers? Do you have a habit of being in God's word? Do you have a habit of setting a, a, an alarm clock on your watch or on your phone in the middle of the day that says, stop and center? Do you have a habit of getting in your car, turning off the radio as you start and saying, as I get in my car, what do I need to pray about right now on the way to this next meeting? Instead of the habit of, Oop, number five is 103.3. That's what, that's what I want. What's happening on the ticket? What are your habits? And the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews is saying that this habit is deforming the believers, this habit of absence. But our habit of devotion and our habit of engagement will form us even when we feel like it's just not doing anything. Are you following me? Let me give you the most beautiful reason to gather together. And it comes around the context of verses 23 and 25. Okay? Flip down and look with me again, okay? I'm wrapping up here. Find my place. The reason to make this a priority, the reason to gather with one another is not just to feel good, is not just to survive another week, though sometimes it is just for that, just to survive another week. But look at verse 19 and following. This, sorry, this isn't on the screen. This came to me late. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's the motivation to gather here? It's because God has made a way for us to get to him. We have confidence to worship God because of the blood of Jesus, this new and living way that he has made. Therefore, celebrate with one another this new and living way of coming to God, not by sacrifices, 
but by the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. And look at how he ends the, the motivation in verse 25. He says, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see how the word day is capitalized? That's because it's the day of the Lord. Right? What is that day? It's the day of Jesus coming. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of the Lord. But for you and I who are in Christ Jesus, that day of the Lord, that day of judgment is not our judgment, but our salvation. Because in Christ, because we have been united by the blood of Christ, our judgment day has moved from the future to the past at the cross. You know why we need to gather with one another? To be reminded of this. That we have a new and living way to God. That there is a day coming, not for judgment, but for salvation for those who are in Christ. And we need to gather regularly and be reminded of that new way, to be reminded of that coming day when all will be put right. Would you bow and pray with me? Maybe you're here this morning and uh, you're not a part of the church because you haven't taken Jesus as your Savior. And I want to encourage you right where you are this morning to just say, Jesus, I trust in you as my Savior. You have taken my penalty on the cross. You have moved my judgment day from the future to the past. And I thank you, Jesus, for taking away my sins. If you want to pray with someone this morning, I encourage you to go to someone who has a candle and, and, and pray with someone this morning. For those of us that have come to Jesus by faith and are a part of this family, Lord Jesus, we thank you for rescuing us from our sin. We thank you for the blood that has paid our punishment and brought us near through the new and living way of your blood. We thank you, God, that you didn't wait for us to come to you, but you came to us. You are faithful. You are good. You love your people. And I pray, God, that this amazing love that you have, your faithfulness to your people will inspire us to be faithful to you and faithful to your people, our brothers and sisters. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.